Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. Sometimes we have so little urgency about the lost of this world. We're just doing our thing. So they're going now. What's the big deal? God wants to place within us an urgency, a sensation of how it is to be lost, to remind us, to bring us back to that place. When God speaks to you, what excuses have you come up with? The third thing, not only do you trust, not only do you have radical obedience, but the third thing is you'll leave some things behind. You and I are human. We're made of flesh. We're sinners in need of a Savior. Left to ourselves, we're without hope. We're destined for an eternity separated from God, our Creator. But as we'll learn today, life doesn't have to be this way. We can have peace and joy. We can have hope and a purpose. And all that can be made possible when you accept Jesus as your Savior. When we do, our lives become enriched. We have focus. We have a goal. And that's to serve and follow our Master. Not out of obligation, but because of our love for Him. Pastor Mark will share with us that God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. I'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16, for part one of our message entitled, Expand Your Life. Sometimes when we talk about Christianity, we give people the wrong impression. I saw this in Christianity today. It was a little joke about a man leading another person to the Lord, and he was trying to convince him to become a Christian. Here's what the other man said on the other side. Are you serious? If I pray this prayer with you, I'll get eternal life? And the set of steak knives too? Wow! Sometimes we have the wrong impression. We get, we say to people, oh, just come serve Jesus. Everything will be fine. Your life will be perfect. And all you have to do is just say the words and you'll be born again. And that's what Jesus is after. That is not what Jesus is after. We will see this morning it's much, much different from that. And the second statement, I want you to take note and write this down, if you will. This isn't my statement, but very important one. It says this. The church is not a yacht, a yachting club but a fleet of fishing boats. You say, what does that have to do with anything? You'll see as we go through this morning. Let's look at chapter 1, Mark. Now, John the Baptist came on the scene. He said, there is one in the wilderness that's me. I've come to proclaim the kingdom of God is coming. Immediately, we skip down to verse 14, and we found out that John the Baptist is in jail. He's going to be beheaded, actually. And it leaves Jesus proclaiming that he is the one. He's the savior of the world. He's come to, to bring good news that man can be right with God. His sins can be forgiven. And as he does this, he realizes now Jesus is the only one in all of Israel proclaiming it. One person. Well, one is too few. Too little coverage for one person to do. So Jesus knew that his plan when God sent him to the earth was really twofold. We, we kind of think of it as being onefold, but really it was twofold. 
The first part of it is the one you and I are familiar with. Jesus came to die on a cross, take our sins upon Him, go into the ground, be resurrected three days later, come out, go to the hand, right hand of the Father, and intercede for us. And then we would believe Him. That would be our salvation. But the second purpose for Him coming was to raise up a group of men, and eventually ladies, who would take the same message throughout all the world forever until He would come back to establish His full kingdom on this earth. Those were the two really reasons for Jesus coming. So He's going to set up that second part even before He fulfills the first. And as we go through the book of Mark, and today especially, we'll see that He picks four disciples. We'll see how He picks them, who they are, what their qualifications are, what they're required to do, what Jesus says to them, and what their responses are. Let's look at verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Now, as we told you, when we go through the Gospels, you got to put yourself there. So forget sitting in this building. Picture yourself this morning on the Sea of Galilee. How many would like to be there right now? Just And just picture yourself beside the, sh- the seashore there and picture yourself as the disciples. You've been fishing there, little villages all along. It's really a wonderful area, beautiful area. We're going to stay in a kibbutz right on the Sea of Galilee. You can walk out at night in the morning. Just picture it this morning. You're on the seashore. And this is where Jesus is walking. This actually happened. This is real. So he's walking on the seashore, and he sees Simon and Andrew, and they're doing their thing. They've been fishermen. They're casting nets. Verse 17, Jesus says this, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now as you read this, you kind of picture in your mind that this is the first time Jesus ever saw these individuals, but that's not true. Actually, many months before, Jesus was introduced to these individuals. Actually, Andrew initially was a disciple of John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist was always pointing the people to Jesus, one day Andrew saw Jesus and followed him, accepted him as his personal Savior, and believed on him and repented and was baptized. And the first thing you remember from the book of John that Andrew did, he ran and got his brother Simon. And he says, Simon, I found the Messiah. And initially... Peter came, Simon came, and he also accepted the Lord. Then later on, we know that John also was a disciple of John the Baptist, and he came to Jesus. So this is not the first time. This is actually going to be a change in the call of Jesus to these individuals. These individuals were now really Christians. They had gone back to their work of fishing. That had been their livelihood. But Jesus is going to change the call to one of discipleship. By the way... Our call this morning is to discipleship. Every single one of us have received a call to discipleship. The Great Commission says go into all the world and make disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. We'll see what that means, and it has nothing to do, by the way, with a set of steak knives. Let me give you about 
four or five things, and you'll need to take some notes this morning if you're taking notes. The first one is this. Jesus calls ordinary people to be followers, to be disciples. Now, think about it. If you were going to set up a brand new kingdom, a brand new organization, one that would have worldwide coverage, one that would be lasted at this point for at least 2,000 years, we don't know how many more years, who would you pick as the key foundation? What kind of qualities, what kind of uh, resumes would you look for in these individuals, these men and women that were going to establish this great worldwide lasting organization? Well, today we'd probably look for people from Harvard and Yale and Stanford and high IQ and whatever. We'll see, and let's just take a look and see what we picked there. We follow Jesus, and we just said he picked four of those to start his organization. Who were they? Common, ordinary, garden variety fishermen. Fishermen. Why would Jesus pick that kind of a bunch to start with. Well, before we get to that, I saw something this week I thought was really interesting. There's a, an article about a young man looking for a wife. And he says, I'm a conservative Christian and I'm seeking a woman as a possible partner in life. I'm loving, affectionate, good-looking Christian man, whatever. And he goes through all his junk, which I won't read to you. But listen to, listen to what he's looking for on this side in a, a potential spouse. And take a look and see uh, what he says. Here's definite requirements. Love and know the Word of God. Know personally Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and love Him fervently. Be affectionate. Have an excellent relationship with your father. You must be a daddy's little girl. Want and love children. Need to be a great mommy. Have a genuine, teachable, sweet spirit. Never been married. Pure, unattached, loyal. That was first paragraph. Here's second. I'm not kidding. First preferred. Baptist, Presbyterian, or other conservative theology, non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal. Thoughtful, gentle, effective communicator, unselfish, disciplined, mature, joyful personality. How are we doing? <laughs> enjoy dining out, but must enjoy cooking also. <laughs> Athletically inclined, or at least willing to enjoy sports activities. Third paragraph. <laughs> Musically talented. Must be able to homeschool children. Enjoy conservative Christian music. A heart for missions. Blonde or brunette. <laughs> Blue or green eyes. We're getting down to the details now. Five foot six to six foot one only. Lovely. 18 to 26 years only. College education is helpful. <laughs> but not an issue. <laughs> yeah. Industrious and presently involved in some Christian outreach. If interested, may I ask that you first pray and send me a picture, a few paragraphs about yourself. I will correspond to you accordingly. Please include only your first name, preferably a post office box, no return address, and no phone numbers, please. 
This guy will be single till eternity comes, won't he? Aren't you glad when you came to Jesus, he didn't have those kind of requirements? You see, when we look at who Jesus calls, Robert Coleman says this, the disciples had no academic degrees in the arts or any philosophies of their day. Like their master Jesus, their formal education likely consisted only of the synagogue school. And in fact, most of them were raised in the poorer section of the country around Galilee. Now, why would Jesus pick ordinary, common, garden variety, middle IQ, untrained people? You're right. Because, and you can write these verses down, we don't have time to go this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. Here's what happened. Over time, when the world would see that these 12 guys would turn entire Israel upside down for God, they would look and go, this is impossible. These 12 guys? And they would always give the credit to God. Paul says, God has chosen not the wise things of the world, but actually the foolish, the common, the everyday kind of things of the world. So that when people look and say, how could you do this? They would look and say, it ain't that guy. It ain't those people. It must be God. See, if you go to churches today where the hierarchy promote themselves, here's what you'll find in the churches. Nobody. They're dead. But in churches where the person in the pew and the guy teaching says, really, we're just common, ordinary, everyday things, but all glory goes to God, the people pile in. Because, see, we relate. Jesus was picking people he could relate to. And I almost just wore jeans and tennis shoes all day today. I didn't want to shock some of you that think I don't wear jeans and tennis shoes. But, see, it's just common Everyday people is who we are. And later on, when the Pharisees, the religious people, look, by the way, Jesus could have picked religious people. He could have picked Pharisees. He didn't because he knew they weren't useful. But later on in the book of Acts, we find a statement. They say, how did all these things happen? And they look at these 12 guys, and here's a statement the religious people make. They've been with Jesus. So today... The followers of Jesus are exactly the same quality as they were in the first four fishermen. Common, ordinary people like you and like me. That's who he uses. All of us. A few of us have a few of you have a few IQs that are up here, but most of us are, you know what I'm talking about. We're, right ever, at the bottom of the scale, but God uses us. Number two, Jesus requires believers to follow him. Look at verse 17. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this was not some introduction from Jesus. They're out in the boats and Jesus says, come ashore. Hi, I'm Jesus. I want to introduce myself. Nice to meet you. I met you before. I'm glad that you're here. Go back to your fishing. I'll see you in a few years. 
That wasn't what he said, come and follow me. It wasn't this introduction statement that we make to some believers that would sound almost like this advertisement. If you'll accept Jesus Christ and read these four spiritual laws and say hi to Jesus, come into your heart, you can be saved. And we give you this fire insurance policy that you can give to Peter and say, I'm not going to hell. I met Jesus one time. It was back in 1997. And he's a good friend of mine. I don't remember his second name, but his first name is Jesus. Many people today have that concept of Christianity. It's the wrong concept. Jesus never called converts. He called disciples. And you're going to see, especially when we go through chapter 4 of Mark, that many people are going to be surprised at Judgment Day. They think they're a believer. They're not. And by the way, it has nothing to do with your list and do's and don'ts that we used to come up with when the 60s and 70s, you know, all these things, don't chew, don't smoke, don't with those people, those do, and that makes them a Christian. That's baloney. You'll see that it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, actually in the Greek, because we can't see this tense here, but in the Greek, here's what, you're the fisherman, you're out there. Here's what Jesus says. Come, follow me. Here's what it means. Come was a command. Come here, like we say to our dog, you know, come over here. Wasn't said angrily, but Jesus said, come to command. And here's what he said, follow me. And it actually means this, walk in the same path that I'm walking. Come follow me and walk in exactly the same path that I am walking. Now, what does that mean? You're going to see what it means. That's a whole lot different than, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. It's a lifestyle of following Jesus Christ. It is responding to his command. Today, we really have too many converts. Jesus was saying, come. I'm commanding you to come. Walk with me. Be a disciple of mine. I want to develop a relationship with you, each of you, every single one of you. And Jesus this morning is calling you, and he's calling me, to exactly the same role as these four initial followers. You see, Jesus knew that the world would never be one to Jesus through converts but through disciples. Converts do nothing but care for themselves. Disciples lay down their lives for others. That's what it would take to win the world from Jesus Christ. 2,000 years later, we have a church that's alive and active on this planet because these four guys initially, with the others as we'll study as we go through the book of Mark, responded to the command to an intimate lifestyle in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Point number three. Well, actually, before we get there, let me give you three steps to following. Three steps to following. Okay? First one is this, trust. Think about it. These guys are in their boats. Jesus says, come and follow me. Now, why would they follow? Because they had heard Jesus. His words were all over Israel. And they knew things were happening in his life. So they trusted Jesus. You won't follow someone unless you trust them. Do you trust Jesus this morning with your life? Jesus knows the way.
These guys trusted their life to Jesus because they knew this guy was in contact with God. This morning, if you're going to follow Jesus, the very first thing you have to do is you have to trust Him. Second thing is to have radical obedience. This radical call would require radical obedience. If you're going to trust God, when He calls you to do something, you're going to obey Him without question. Look at verse 18. It says, at once they left their nets. Look at verse 20. Without delay, He called them and they left their father. I love this. Can you imagine Zebedee's out there in the hired boats, hired men, and they're out in the boats, and there's his two sons saying, bye, dad. And he's left out there. What? Where'd they go? You see, it was radical. It was radical. For you and I, we're scared of this. But see, there was an urgency. There was no time to waste. Jesus had three and a half years, even less now, to get these guys, to disciple them, to make them followers of Him. The world was waiting. People were lost. There was an urgency in His call, and there was an instant response from them. You know, when God calls us to do something and there's an urgency, we shouldn't sit there with excuses. We should immediately respond because there's a timing that's involved always in God's will. Sometimes we have so little urgency about the loss of this world. We're just doing our thing. So they're going now. What's the big deal? God wants to place within us an urgency, a sensation of how it is to be lost, to remind us, to bring us back to that place. When God speaks to you, what excuses have you come up with? The third thing, not only do you trust, not only do you have radical obedience, but the third thing is you'll leave some things behind. The disciples, they trusted Jesus, they obeyed immediately, and that caused them to leave some things behind. If you look there, you see Peter and Simon left their boats and their nets All their life, they were comfortable with these. They left them. You see, James and John, they lived a business, their father, and the fishing boats and nets. And they walk away. You see, disciples of Jesus have to learn to put Him first. The things of this world become secondary. They really have very little value. The longer you serve Jesus Christ... The closer you follow, you should find it easier to leave things behind. You see, when you die and when I die, we take nothing with us. And yet we have such a tight grip that often we don't follow Jesus because we have this baggage behind. What's keeping you this morning from following Jesus? or anything? If there is, the wisest thing you can do in your life, just leave it behind and follow Him because none of that matters at all. Now, why do I need to follow Jesus? Turn to two verses in the Old Testament quickly. We're going to get through this quickly. Proverbs 14, 12 and Jeremiah 29, 11. Read the newspaper, turn on the television, surf the internet. What do you see? A world that is lost and dying. They need hope. They need the truth. They need Jesus. While we can't save people, we can't make them believe, we can share the gospel with them. 
through our words and our deeds, we can show them what life can be like when you choose to walk in the blessings of God. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866-779-3441. That's 866-779-3441. Or log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will share with us three things that every believer should know. It's that trust, obedience, and leaving things behind are all a part of following Jesus. We learn that in order to follow Jesus, we must trust Him. And if we trust Him, then we'll obey what He says. But what we must understand is that we can't do it in our own strength. We need His power to do so. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.